Sometimes I think the art is better because you're using your mind more. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. What would you do if the worst happened? Would you be able to rebuild your creative business? And do you know what's essential to get going if you lost everything? Those are difficult questions, and those are questions that hopefully you'll never have to answer. But in this week's interview, I speak to a creative who was forced to answer those questions after the worst happened with Hurricane Irma. Her name is Sally Bernard. She runs a creative business on Etsy where she sells ceramic pots, and she's also a painter. Now, I know Sally's not a writer, but I think you'll find her insights into what it takes to build a creative business and also her process insightful. But before we get into all of that, here's this week's personal update. So I'm recording this episode towards the end of January. So we're already a month into the new year, into 2020, which I can't believe. So since we've started 2020, I've started a number of new projects, both personal and related to become a writer today. I've been focused a lot more on Medium this year. So Medium is a social media network for writers that I've talked about in previous podcast episodes. And if you write nonfiction or if you're looking to get started writing online, I'd encourage you to join Medium and to join their partner program because it's relatively easy to start earning an income from your writing on Medium. Now, that said, I did join Medium several years ago, but I never really paid it too much attention until recently. But I've had the opportunity to join a Slack group of other Medium writers, some of whom are very well known. And I'm learning from them. I'm learning from them about what it takes, you know, to write popular articles for some of Medium's publications and the types of content people are interested in writing these days. And I've actually discovered there's a bit of a difference between writing for Forbes, which is what I've spent the last year or two doing, and writing for Medium. So when I write for Forbes, it's typically business self-help and advice, where I'll interview somebody, somebody like Sally, and I'll ask them about a problem in their business and how they overcame it. We'll talk about their career, and I'll also ask them questions about earning an income and so on. And I'll turn that into a relatively formal article where I don't really present myself or any personal stories. In other words, it's usually about the interviewee and then there's usually some practical takeaways around productivity or entrepreneurship and so on. And typically those articles are six to eight hundred words and how they do depends mostly on the headline. I found it's a little bit different on Medium and other blogging platforms because personal stories are key. What do I mean by personal stories? Well, I don't just mean the story of people like Sally. I mean, people are looking for personal stories belonging to the writer. So when I'm writing and publishing an article on Medium, I need to explain how it relates to my context. So to a challenge I've overcome, for example. What do I mean by this? Well, I recently wrote an article about meditation for Medium, which is something I've talked about on this podcast as well. And to frame that article correctly, I had to introduce the article by talking about a time I was fired from a job that didn't work out before I set up Become a Writer Today, and how I got around feeling angry about being fired and let go. And the way I got around that problem was actually through meditation. So I introduced the article by talking about getting fired and then discovering meditation. And then I segued into the middle of the article, which was about finding time to meditate. And I also provided you know, some statistics about the benefits of meditation and even a quote with Headspace's chief science officer. And that was based on an article I wrote for Forbes, And then at the end of the Medium article, I returned to my personal story. And this type of personal stories are what sets Medium perhaps apart from some of the traditional businessy publications that I've written for. And it's required a little bit of a shift in my writing. I used to use a lot of personal stories in my work, 
particularly for books, but it's something I moved away from with a little bit of regret last year. And it's something I definitely want to do more of in 2020. So if you're thinking of getting started on Medium, I'd encourage you to set up your profile, find a couple of popular publications that are related to topics that either interest you or what you want to write about. Uh, Some ones that I'm following or writing for or want to write for include The Startup, The Entrepreneur's Handbook, Mind Cafe, Better Humans and Better Marketing. And there's also a writing publication called The Writing Cooperative, which I've written for in the past. Once you follow these publications, you'll see that at the top of their profiles, they often have a link that says write for us or about us. So you can read their editorial guidelines and you can see the types of stories that they're interested in receiving. And typically there's a pitch process that you will go through where you'll send them a draft of your article using the Medium platform or you'll pitch them, you know, by filling out a form. And because all these publications thrive on content, thrive on writing, the bar for getting accepted is a little bit lower than in other traditional publications. So it's relatively easy to build up an audience and to get paid. And in fact, some of the writers of the Slack group I'm in have audiences of 50 and 60,000 and they earn five figures a month. So if you're serious about taking your writing to the next level through personal stories, or if you just want to earn an income from writing online, Medium could be the place for you. Now on to this week's interview. So recently I had the chance to interview the Florida Keys-based ceramicist and painter Sally Bernard. And I've always been fascinated by how other creative people work. And that's one of the reasons why I'm featuring Sally on this week's podcast. Now Sally's livelihood at home was destroyed by Hurricane Irma in September of 2017. And we talk about that at the start of the podcast episode. And it really got me to think that whatever challenges or problems I feel like I might have, it's nothing compared to what Sally went through. The disaster actually prompted Sally to reconsider what was important in her business. And it also prompted her to ask difficult questions about what she needed for her art. And she changed the tools and processes that she relies on as a result. We covered that in this week's interview and she explains why all creatives need a business disaster plan, which is hopefully something you'll never actually use. She also talks about how advice from the musician Jack White of the White Stripes changed her art. She explains how creative entrepreneurs can achieve more with less. She gets into how she balances running a business with creative process and with selling online. And what I thought was particularly interesting is she explains the differences in her creative process to other creative people, to writers, for example. Before Sally did all of this, she was actually a marine biologist. So I was particularly interested in how Sally transitioned from a marine biologist to somebody who's running a creative business online. And I asked her to describe her story. Okay, I'll kind of start at somewhat of the beginning. Um, I moved to the Keys as a biologist. I've always been involved in art, but I came down here as a marine scientist. And then at some point, I ended up running a construction company, owner and running it. All the while, continuing with my painting and I opened my first Etsy shop in 2012 as a means of generating a little bit of income, seeing what my work, you know, who it responded to. So that's how I first got involved. And then around 2014, I changed directions a little bit and went into some pottery. And in 2015, it took off by accident, kind of happened organically with a hobby. And I started making succulent pots, very small pots. And it just grew through social media and the platform of Etsy. And so that was about 2014, 2015. At one point, this little pottery business turned into 30% of my income. So I started taking it a lot more seriously at that point. And then 2017 was Hurricane Irma. And 
it wiped out my studio. In the Keys, a lot of the houses are built on stilts. So you've got a downstairs level. And then the home actually starts above this, the, the first layer. And so most of my heavy equipment was downstairs, my slab roller, my kiln, all of my clay. And that was, we were hit by a category four hurricane, four feet of water. I mean, it just swept the entire downstairs studio away. The studio that was in the house was basically overtaken by mold. And that part of the house was uninhabitable. Couldn't go back in there. So I basically spent about six months not being able to create work on a business that was, you know, growing and thriving. And I had built by accident from scratch. I was applying business, like a business-minded attitude towards it in the beginning. But since it happened organically, I was kind of increasing my attitude, my business attitude as it was growing. And then when the hurricane came, it was just stop, done. And then I got the grant for surf. I always joke that the hurricane, it's a really good way to clean house. And it's a really good way to start from scratch and see what is important in your life. I also told my car was, I got hit and my car was totaled. So, I mean, it was like one thing after another, a hurricane, a car, you know, putting two animals down. It was like, what is going on? I think it was on Instagram. I saw Etsy and Surfer advertising for this grant. And it literally took me 15 minutes to apply for it. And several months later, I got this email saying that we're granting you $1,000. And although I had taken the business seriously, because it was growing at such a nice pace and it was making me money, there was something about getting that money that legitimized what I was doing. To have an organization like Etsy and Surf say, hey, we value you know what you do and we want to help you rebuild it. It gave me a boost when I needed it. So that's kind of where, you know, where things happened. And how have you changed your business since you relaunched using the grant? Well, the first aspect that I've changed is an evacuation plan. And I will not let this happen again. I mean, I, I understand that things can happen in life and I can't prepare for everything. But I think as artists, we don't often plan for being shut down. You take for granted that you're always going to have this. Yep. So I prepare a lot more and I think of, you know, this is my livelihood. I do everything. I'm freelance, everything. I'm also a bookkeeper. I do that on my own. What do I have to do to be able to work in any environment should that arise? Well, one of the things is I actually apply for more grants now. I think that was the first grant I got. And then I went on a mission to look for other grants. And I now have a regular schedule of applying for grants every month. I try and apply for two a month and I've gotten a few and again, it, it helps legitimize what you're doing when people believe in you with money. Um, I mean, basically, they're investing in you. Since I do have a background in owning a business and bookkeeping, I just continue to try and become more efficient. I also joined an artist professional group, which was really crucial in training me a little bit, pushing me to find areas where I'm treating the art practice not as a business and moving it in that direction. So how do you balance spending time on your art and creating the products that you're selling on Etsy versus working on the on your business? You mean the bookkeeping or, or? Well, I guess the bookkeeping or you talked there about an evacuation plan and uh, the other parts of running a business, like for example, figuring out what products to sell next or looking at other opportunities. Stuff that's not directly creative, but you know, is important okay. if you want to make a living online. I'm a scheduler. I like to create moments to do things. I've noticed that I can bounce around between things. So I've tried to structure my time a little better. Through this artist development group, I've set aside studio days. I don't always follow it, but you know, Thursdays, that's my studio day where I try and minimize distractions. 
and just get in there and make art. And then there are other days, sales tax is coming up the 15th. You know, I'd like to have that done a week earlier. I can make sure that I get my Thursday. So I am a fairly good scheduler. And I think that's been really important. Time management. Uh, and it is an experiment. You know, I, I'm constantly looking for ways to make things more efficient. Notice the time leaks. Yeah. And do you work with other people who help you run your Etsy store or different parts of your business? No, I pretty much do it all by myself. But I'm slowly learning that community and reaching out to other people, maybe not even for um, logistical help, but for ideas, brainstorming. How do you do this with your yep. business? And that conversation I've noticed in the last conversation between artists, conversations between business people were really helpful in expanding how I could run my business. Yep. Because in a vacuum, you just get like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And it's like, well, you know, maybe ask Jim how he's doing it and you get a way that is a little more brings more efficiency to your life. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like it's important to be around other people who are involved in creative work as well. I think so. And I've always been a big fan of mentors, finding people that you like how they operate and you like what the results they're getting and going to them and watching them and how they do things. I always say I'm efficient because I'm lazy. I don't want to do something in an hour that I could do in 15 minutes. So I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And if I find someone that's doing something in a way, I'm like, huh, I'd like to do it that way. I kind of pick their brain. And So a lot of creative people actually struggle to make a living from their art. For example, writers say it's difficult to get paid to write. So before you set up on Etsy, were you able to make like an income at all from your art? Or was it only when you got on Etsy and it started growing that you were able to, to make a living from your work? Because I had been on Etsy since 2012 and I was not a fan of social media. I don't do well with Facebook. I think I find the interface very confusing. And if I get on it, I will waste 30 minutes easily. I think that's built, it's built that way. <laughs> right. And, I, and I, I don't feel good afterwards. Somebody had told me to get on Instagram and I was like, oh, I really don't want to. And then I saw the interface. It's simple. And I was like, I think I can do this. And that's when things took off. So Etsy and Instagram together is the formula that worked for me. Okay. Okay. It is great that there's lots of tools these days and platforms for creative people who want to share their work or earn a living. You know, it wouldn't have been possible, I think, in the early 2000s. Not, not for some... I'm a bit of an introvert when it comes to my art. I am working on challenging myself to not only use social media to put myself out there, to have the conversations one-on-one -on -one to learn how to do, to do that. But in 2000, I wouldn't have had the... You know, you have to pound the pavement pre-internet. Yep the pre-social media. And I'm, I've never been to art school, so I don't know if they teach that, you know, how to get your work out there. I can't imagine how I would have done it. So are you, are you self-taught? Primarily, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I've taken a few classes, you know, here and there. So you, you've been through something uh, very traumatic, but what advice would you give to small businesses or creative entrepreneurs who want to prepare for the unexpected? You know, I thought about that because I had not thought about what I would tell other people. Well, the easiest way is to go to the surf website and I'm not shamelessly promoting, but literally if you go to the surf website, there's a checklist of things that there were things on there that I had not thought of. Yep. Um, and that's the simplest way, but to get to like the core of what it feels like to lose everything, I would say if you're watching the news and watching what's going on with climate change, you know, the fires in Australia or the earthquakes in Puerto Rico, Watch that and put yourself in that situation and really imagine, like take 10 minutes and imagine what if a fire came through here? Yep. 
look around your studio or your house, like what would I take? What's crucial? And I think if people took the time to really get in that space, they'd probably go, I need a plan. Okay. And that plan, you said there was an evacuation plan for you, but what would be other key elements of a plan like that? Like business insurance is something that, that strikes me. I do have flood insurance so that in, in the event that something does happen, I can get compensated for my equipment. I have not looked into business insurance, something I, I could do, but I think because I am so well prepared and self-sufficient in my evacuation plan, I haven't thought of it. So for me, I had written down what's crucial to my business. So for a pottery-based business, I need my kiln. I need my slab roller, yep. my tools. I bought a kiln that is 110, so I can plug it into any outlet. I don't need specific electric. I can lift it myself. I'm a 5'4 woman. I'm very small and petite. I can lift my own kiln and it can fit in the back of a Honda Civic. It means I work smaller, but I'm okay with that. And if I need a larger kiln, I can rent. So knowing what you need to take, I made a list of what is crucial to operate business, what is not crucial. And I have that list in a place so that when that time comes, I don't have to think. I know one, two, three, four, five. If I get that in my car, I'm pretty good. My computer, your backup documents, and then also determining what you can do on your own. When things kind of hit the fan, people aren't available to you as much as you'd like them to be because they're dealing with their own stuff. So again, being a 5'4 small person, you know, I kind of had to think, if I don't have people to help me, what can I do on myself? And what, what can I do by myself? And how can I orchestrate that so that I'm not really dependent on other people? Yeah. The last thing was, and it sounds so extreme and too devastating, practicing your plan. So I haven't physically tried to load everything in my car, but I've done it already. Yeah. <laughs> because when it is time to do it, it's, it always takes more time than you think it, it will. So planning, basically. And has, did the hurricane affect other people in the same way that it's affected you? And have they been able to rebuild their businesses? The people in the group that you mentioned, for example? Most of those people were in Key West. Key West was not hit as hard as 25 miles up the road. Yep. I mean, up the Keys, there were houses. My neighbor's house, we don't know where it is, where it went. It just, you know, there were some sticks left. But yes, people have been rebuilt slowly, very, very slowly. I moved into town. So I was fortunate that I could get started up in about six months. But it's been a slow process of the keys. Yeah. And do you feel like you're back where you were before the hurricane? Or do you still have some way to go? I'm back, but in a different way. A more, a more compact and condensed way. What I've noticed, I need less. I am somewhat of a minimalist, but I minimized even more. And I realized that... I, I once saw an interview with Jack White, the guitarist. Yeah. From the black stripes or the black keys? The white stripes, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just went through three bands. And he talked about how his the guitar that he used was like a $25 guitar from Sears. Yeah. And look at the music that this guy is making. So in effect, it's somewhat sad. I've noticed that you really, and as artists, we're so creative. We can make something out of nothing that I didn't need as much as I thought. And sometimes I think the art is better because you're using your mind more. What can I do with, you know, I made a slab roller out of a piece of wood and two small dowels. You know, it was a $6 slab roller. Yeah. I had a $700 one with a fancy wheel and, you know, <laughs> so I may have to work smaller, but it's just that, do I really need all this stuff? So it sounds like you, you've applied some of the concepts from minimalism to both your business and your creative work. Yes. 
and that's been helpful for you? I think so. You know, if you get too comfortable, you you don't push as hard. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'm curious about is, uh, so writers have a particular creative process. You know, they, they might get up in the morning and uh, sit down at their desk. <laughs> they might have a writing prompt and, you know, they'd work on their manuscript for an hour or two and try not to get interrupted. Uh, and then they might edit at a different time of the day. But like, what does the creative process look like for you? Usually what goals I'm, I want to hit and then making a bunch of lists and I break things down into, I'll take one thing and I, I have to break it down into sometimes very individual tasks. So not just like finish ring cones with wood bases. I would break it down into, okay, pick the pieces of wood, make sure you have enough glazes, what glaze colors, and it's almost like an outline. And that way I don't have to think so much about the creative process. I can, I can look in that and go, okay, this is what's next. This is what's next. I hear of a lot of artists who are very whimsical and yep. oh, just go and it flows through me. And I, you know, I wait for inspiration. So rather than waiting for inspiration, you're giving yourself tasks and breaking down projects into, I suppose, next actions. Right. What about, yeah, exactly. Because I think if I waited for inspiration, I'd be in a hammock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Do you have an ideal early morning routine? Yes. Um, my morning routine is I wake up about 6.30. Um, I have my coffee. I go outside. I do some reading, meditation, and the gratitude list. I do a little bit of yoga. And then one of the things I learned from artist you is to not just start working. So I will... I have little post-its and um, I have Monday, Tuesday, and I have a, like a most important task. If the one thing I do today is this and I get nothing else done, I'm fine. So just to go back to that, are you saying that you set the priority before you get into dive into your work? Cause... Right. Yeah. Because it's very easy for me to just start, oh, let me do some accounting and enter some receipts and an hour has gone by. And that yeah. one thing that I really need to get done because I don't really want to do it Yep. Um, has been hijacked by you know entering receipts, which I could do in bed in my pajamas on a Sunday night, you know. Could you give me an example of what your one thing was on a particular day this week? It's been a full week. Uh, <laughs> well, it's tax season for me, so yeah. it's be bookkeeping. Yeah, tax, um, taxes are important, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be time. You know, I have one client, I want to get that, I, I want to get that done. So I have an appointment for two hours with myself and, you know, I'm going to crank that out. Okay. And once that's done, and then actually my reward is I have to build a frame for a painting, you know, a panel. And in my gratitude list this morning, I was like, oh, I'm grateful that when I'm done with my 1099s, I get to go cut some wood and, yep. you know, get a nail gun out. And, I like that, yeah. Yeah. You're rewarding a difficult task with some enjoyable creative work. So Sally, where, where can people find more information about you or your store? Um, well, at Etsy, it's at Zebra Wing Studio. Yep. Uh, I have a website. Uh, www.sallybenard.com and those are the two primary places it was very nice to talk to you today hey you too i hope you enjoyed this podcast episode if you did please leave a rating on the itunes store and if you want to accomplish more with your writing please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and i'll send you a free email course thanks for listening